Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, or of his own begat he us with the word of truth, that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that uh, you provide inspiration for us, Lord, through the reading of your word. We ask that you would uh, give me clarity, Lord, as I give today's message and uh, help that uh, uh, through this, Lord, that uh, we may go out, Lord, and and, and show others the things that uh, we need to do, Lord. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Claim to be a public speaker. It's always been a weakness of mine, and, and although I've been leading singing up here for a long time, there was a permanent impression of my hand in this pulpit because I'm terrified in front of people. It's been a long thing of mine. And it's been a long time since I've come up here and and, uh, spoke in front of anybody. So if I seem a little fidgety, it's twofold. One, because of that. Two, because I have a sciatic issue right now. And if I stand in the the same way too long, uh, I get a pain going down my left leg. So uh, so to avoid the first one, uh, fear of speaking, I'm going to ask everyone to turn around and face the other direction. <laughs> so nobody's looking at me. i just just kidding. Uh, the topic of, of my message to mo- this morning is, is about patience. Uh, and I'm going to walk you through someone's life. And I would uh, tell you that I would change the name to protect the innocent, but you would soon realize it's me. So, <clears throat> and uh, any, anyone who knows me, uh, my family, my father, and my father will be mentioned here. Uh, forgive me, Dad, if you are listening. I, I know he's not. He's doing some veterans. He's a Korean War veteran, so he's doing some stuff today for uh, churches, and he's out. Uh, My father was not a patient man, uh, and I may have had a hand in that growing up. I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure my brothers may have, but uh, the way things I saw things, obviously through my young eyes, uh, it was not them, it was me. But just a, a little history lesson. Uh, does anyone happen to know the date of October 29th, 1929? Okay, it goes way back. If you're not a history, if you're not a lover of history, my dad was a history teacher. Uh, my other brothers did not like history, but I loved history. That was the, yes, the, uh, that was the date that Wall Street crashed, started the Great Depression. It was also famous for another 
uh, thing. That was the exact day my father was born. So uh, growing up, we would always blame him that he caused, his birth caused the Great Depression. Uh, my father grew up in, in the Depression uh, in a coal mining farming area. And uh, it was a very tough time to grow up. And uh, any time you could earn extra money, you know, we're talking pennies. Pennies made a big difference back then. So every summer from an early age, he was farmed out to family. He was sent to work the summer at a farm, or uh, he had an uncle who had a, a small butcher shop. He worked the summer there. So my father knew work, hard work at an early age. Uh, so some of that may have set the scene for, for him as far as, you know, through my eyes, his short temper, his lack of patience. But I also grew up with, I was the fourth of five children. I had two older brothers, an older sister and a younger sister. And my father, uh, even though at, at that time, uh, we did not have a lot of money growing up, so at least once a month, sometimes twice, twice a month, we would have what we call Project Saturdays, where we would do something around the house. Now, the first time I remember doing this, I was probably seven or eight years old. That was the first time I was really capable of, of assisting. And my brothers, my oldest brother was five years older than myself, and my other brother was three. So when we would do these projects... Okay, they always seemed to get the good jobs. And I was relegated to straightening bent nails, uh, breaking large pieces of concrete into smaller pieces of concrete to mix concrete for repairing uh, a, a stair or a step, uh, leaving the yard. So now I think my brothers had a hand in this. They probably neglected to coach me in the proper way to address my dad growing up when these projects happened because, like I said, they always seemed to get good jobs. So when my dad would come up and say, uh, Tom and Bob, I shouldn't have used their names, but I did. It's too late. Uh, and they would say, yes, Dad. And he would give them the job, and he would say, Dave. And then my response was, what? <laughs> okay? Because I knew I was getting this job, this thankless job of sitting there straightening out nails or with a bit large hammer busting concrete down to s smaller pieces. And immediately when I would say what, my dad would respond to that in, in a very impatient way. So whether he had that before or I caused that in him, I will, take, I will at least take partial responsibility. I'll blame my brothers for not informing me and helping me to understand how to respond correctly to this. But this lack of patience in me, you know, knowing that, okay, I'm going to get this job, I really don't want to do this job, uh, it carried on through my young life to the point where I, when I went to school, uh, I always had to be the first one to get my assignment done. Whether it was writing and my penmanship was always bad and I'll blame my penmanship on my patience but that's not it uh, or my math it was a race and it was usually maybe two or three other guys 
And so we would race through the Asami, get done, only to sit around and wait for everybody else to get done. I'm not sure what that accomplished to me because uh, that waiting sometimes was not fun. Uh, there were people who just loved to have the best perfect handwriting, and it seemed like it took forever to get to the next thing we had to do. This carried on into my adult life. The things that you learn, the things that you feed when you're younger, uh, they, they call it the, the formative years, you know, especially the age from two or three to eight. The things you learn in that time are, are carried over. And so for me, lack of patience has always been an issue for me. I'm going to fast forward now to 1994. This is the year that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was 32 years old, and uh, I had grown up in some churches. Uh, when these churches were, were founded, they were considered very good churches. Uh, the main church I was in uh, was considered a good church. Uh, uh, I, I've been back, and it's, it's really a dead church right now, uh, that whole uh, denomination. And when I got married, I... I uh, ended up going uh, to another church, becoming a member there, and I noticed the same things. It was kind of a dead church. Uh, uh, when people would give greetings, it was kind of hollow, and I, I just felt very, very discontent at those churches. But growing up, you know, I, uh, you know I'm going to, obviously I already gave my age, but uh, as, as you're growing up, uh, Around the holidays, you would hear the Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown Christmas, whatever. And so, if you ever remember what uh, the teacher sounded like, uh, wah 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 wah. That's you know. And when I was growing up in church, that's basically that's what I would hear. I would hear scripture read, but, it, but there was no passion. I didn't hear the gospel. I didn't hear the things that I needed to hear. And that's, that's how I took those things. And, and I grew up in a church that was a works-oriented church. So all I had to do, the way I understood it, now it's, I'm sure it's wrong, but the way I understood it was I just had to be good. And so what was good? Well, I could always find somebody that was worse than me. And when I found them, then I said, I'm good. I'm a good person because, you know, they're so much worse. All right, well, there's scripture in the Bible that, that talks about that, you know, when uh, the, the, the Pharisee is, is when the, the tax collector is praying and, and the Pharisee is saying, I'm glad I'm not like this person, you know, and he's trying to elevate himself off, to, off of the uh, lowliness of, of this tax collector. Uh, but I started reading uh, the Bible after I became saved and all of a sudden things were opening up to me and one of the things one of the verses that was the first one that just uh, hit me was like a ton of bricks and it was Matthew 27 51 let me get to there I have these marked, but I am a little nervous, so 
Hopefully I didn't lose my marker. 2751. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Now I had heard that, and I had seen that many times. I had never paid attention to the fact that the curtain was torn from the top to bottom. And that's significant, because this was God's doing. This was not man doing this. If you understand the veil, and after this I, I did some research on, on how thick and how large this veil was and, and what, what it would take to actually tear this veil. And uh, so as I'm continuing to read further on and on, I'm, I'm seeing uh, Scripture is being opened up to me. And uh, some of the things in, in my past life, when the, the longer, you know, sometimes I say my children were, uh, you made professions early, early on in life. Uh, my daughters were just a little bit older. They were uh, young teenagers when I got saved. But, you know, when you don't go through things in life and you don't experience things when you don't have God, it the longer you go through life, the harder it is to accept those things that are in the Bible. So they didn't have to go through some of those things, and, and the things that I went, went up with are always with me. So they're always, you know, images or thoughts that, that, that come into my head that are, uh, I would say, not godly, uh, not edifying. And... Uh, so uh, the tongue has been an issue with me. Uh, I grew up in a house that uh, every other sentence was filled with sarcasm, and that was, you know, started from my father, and it, it still goes there. Uh, we used to go on family camping trips. All my brothers and sisters, my wife, she would pull me aside, and she says, I don't like this, okay? And we would just, you know hit my dad with sarcastic remarks. He would hit us. And and it's hard not to do that because I grew up with that. That was conversation in our house. and But it's not godly. It's It, it doesn't help. And my children would see it. My wife would see it. And, and she didn't want me to pass that on. Unfortunately, my kids follow in my suit. And so there's sarcasm. And it's it's all in good nature, but you know you have to be careful because sometimes it can cross very come across as uh, very cruel. And we look what James says. I, I, as I was reading through the Bible, I I read the book of James and then I reread the book of James, and things hit me in the book of James like no other none of the other books. And I look at. 13, because I used, to, I used to say to myself, God, why, why are you doing this to me? Why are you putting these thoughts, these images from my past? Uh, he's not. He doesn't do that. God does not do that. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. So God is not tempting us. That is coming from someone much worse who is finding our weak points, our weak spots that we have uh, and planting those things. That temptation is not the sin, and that's the good thing. 
because we are constantly bombarded with things that we see that we, you know, like I said, from our past. So the temptation is not the sin, but what follows is the action. Do we act upon that temptation? Verse 14, let every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust lust and enticed. So as that temptation gets in us and we start milling it around, we we keep it there. Uh, The longer it's in our mind or in our heart, it's going to cause an action. So the quicker we remove that, the quicker we remove that thought or that image, uh, the better off we are. This is the help for us reading God's word. And in verse 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when finished, bringeth forth death. Now, that's obviously not a physical death. And if you are saved, it is not a separation from, from Christ. But it is a, a form of, we feel we let God down. And that's something no one really wants to do. It happens. We need to help ourselves. The way to do that is reading the scripture. A significant event happened in uh, my life and my wife's life. And she was saved a few years later after I was. We had a business. And uh, we were notified by the owners of the building that someone had slipped not necessarily in front of our store. We own a farmer's market. There was 10, 10 vendors in there. And it wasn't necessarily from our market, but they believe it was the one directly across from us and that they were suing us. We were part of the lawsuit. And, of course, my old self wants to fight this. I don't, I don't have time for this. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I realized there's, there's nothing... There's nothing I could do. And that's when my wife and I, uh, we sat down, and we just turned everything over to God. Changed our life completely. Because at that time, we were relying completely on ourselves. And from then on, God was, we would go to God with our problems, and he would help us. Amazingly enough, the issue was settled, and we had, didn't have to pay anything. Uh, it's all in God's hands. He, you know, uh, took care of us and, and took us through that. Uh, I'd like to say that I've been patient since. Now, now, <laughs> my wife's laughing. So uh, she, she knows this will always be an issue with me till, till I pass. But <clears throat> as I was reading uh, the book of James, I came upon one verse. And it kind of became my life verse. And I felt guilty about it because as I was meeting new new. Uh, uh, Christians, Christians who had been saved for years, they had these life verses that seemed so, wow, I wish, so lofty, you know. And I have a life verse 
that says, Wherefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Seems self-serving. Later on in life, I found that it wasn't, that people do see that. Pastor, years ago, when he would uh, look up definitions, he would always go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. So I started doing that years ago if I had something, because, boy, is there some biblical truth in those definitions. And I look up the word patience, and the first definition is the suffering of affliction, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper, endurance without murmuring or fretfulness, Patience may spring from constitutional fortitude, from a kind of heroic pride, from a Christian submission to the divine will. You're not going to find that in today's dictionary on patience. The second one, a calm temper which bears evils without murmuring or discontent. Three, the act of or quality of waiting long for justice or expected good without discontent. For perseverance, consistency in labor or exertion. Well, I could certainly use that many, many times. But at the time this is going on, uh, I was my son was getting into baseball, and I had coached my daughters in in the majority of their sports that they uh, were in. Sometimes I was a head coach, sometimes uh, just an assistant. But when my son started playing baseball, and I found this through the, throughout the years, where he played baseball was, they used to call it a country club out there, and boy, was it politicized. And so in order to do stuff, you really had to, you know, get in there and, and, and do things. And so in order for him to get noticed, he had to do well. Now... Knowing the issue I always had with my dad, and uh, uh, of course when uh, he coached us, and I remember taking infield practice, and my dad would hit me a ball, and I didn't do it right. So his form of correction and instruction was to hit it harder. Uh, I didn't always help, uh, and it got to the point where I would no longer ask him to help. I did not want to be that to my son. So as I was coaching, if he noticed that I was getting to the point where I was losing my patience, he would look at me and say, Dad, James 119. So it worked most of the time, let me say that. But I'm reminded of the, when I'm reading that, or when I'm looking at patience, I'm reminded of the, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 19, and I'm sure you all know this, a pastor recently had had uh, uh, spoken on this, Matthew uh, 18, I'm sorry, 18, 24 to 27, And when he had begun to reckon, one one brought 
into, into him, which owed him 10,000 talents. For for as much as he had, had not to pay, he, he, there's no way he could pay this, uh, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had payment to be made. And then the servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. Now, we read later that, you know, the Lord forgave him his debt, and then when it was time for him to collect, he had no patience with the person who owed him money. It's, we ask God for patience with us, and yet we don't provide that to others. I think of the years ago when we were at our old church and that I think Charlie was doing a study. We were doing a study on the attributes of God. And I fell in love with one attribute more than any other. It's his long-suffering because <clears throat> I needed that. And uh, I, think, I think we all at times can use that. Uh, but he is willing to wait and to be patient with us. So if he's willing to do that with us, and not just one time, a plethora of times. And I don't know how many a plethora is, but it's a lot. Uh, now I look at the... When I see James one nineteen, I might read it a little different than everybody else. And I read it, let every man be patient, be patient, be patient. Because there's three different things there that we need to address. And they all work together for one thing. The idea of being swift to hear, I can certainly hear quickly. I don't know if anybody who loves dogs, uh, we had dogs growing up and we would jingle the keys and we'd see the dog and the ears would perk up. And that's how I would be growing up. I would hear something. I may not have liked it and I'm sure that was a trigger for me and I perked up and I would not hear the end of what somebody was saying. That's not what he means when he means swift to hear. What he's talking about is to hear complete, completely. All right. If if we're not willing to listen to something into the end, how can we give a response to that? It goes hand in hand with slow to speak. If I'm speaking before I hear something, before I hear something completely, now my emotion gets involved and I and I jump back. And it may not be a godly response because it's born out of emotion, not out of thought. And when once all that happens, then anger becomes a part. And that is slow to wrath. So this is, has been a struggle my whole life. I, I, I work on it. I, I try to do it. I'm not always successful. But I also know when this happens. This happens generally when I'm tired, when I'm weak. And the, the temptation or the thought is, is put, in, put in there and I give in to it. And I should know to walk away, but I can't. 
And so I do pray that the Lord would, would give me the ability to to step away when I hear those things that I don't want to hear, I think are wrong, and to respond in the correct way. Charles Spurgeon, uh, many of you know who Charles Spurgeon is, in one of his uh, discussions or one of his sermons on James, he says, uh, People are often stiff in their own opinions because they are not willing to hear what others have to offer against them. Whereas we should be swift to hear reason and truth on all sides. Boy, the world could use that today, reason and truth on both sides. And be slow to speak with anything that should prevent this. Because my response back, okay, if, if, if I don't hear it completely, and I respond back impatiently, then the person I'm dealing with is going to have do the same thing unless they are, you know, grounded, if, unless they are uh, in the Word and they understand. But if someone has the same problem I have, it, it is going to be a test of wills, and uh, that should not be the case. And he continues to say, And when we do speak, there should be nothing of wrath for a soft answer turneth away wrath. As this epistle is designed to correct a variety of disorders that existed among Christians, these words, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, may very well interpret it according to this last explanation And we may further observe from that, if men would govern their tongues, they must govern their passions. When Moses' spirit was provoked, he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. If he would be slow to speak, we must be slow to wrath. If you ever get a chance to, if you're looking at something, and uh, there are uh, websites out there of Charles Spurgeon's, he does topicals on or on ev- almost everything out there and, and website and and he was an eloquent speaker and I uh, you know would wish I could speak somewhat even a portion of of what he does but uh, but I can't. Uh, I had said that. James 1.19 seemed kind of self-serving. And it wasn't until years later that I realized it's not. And the things that we do, the things that we show, and the things that maybe you may think are inconsequential, other people see differently. Uh, I had a co-worker who was a born-again Christian, and he suffered the same things I did, but he never tried to correct it. And so when we would talk, I would talk to him. I would talk to him about it, and, and uh, he would never really address it. And I had another individual come up to me, an unsaved individual. And he said to me, Dave, he said, I know both of you are saved, and I know you try to control it. But if that, and referring to this other individual, if that, if that, what he does is being born again, I want nothing to do with it. 
So that could have been me if I didn't recognize the weakness that I had in this certain area. There's a, as I was uh, re- looking and, and looking up information, uh, I came across this paragraph, and I, and I thought it was funny, but it's, it, it, it is true. It said, the old adage is right. It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. How many relationships have been damaged or ruined because we are slow to listen and quick to speak? How many mistakes could have been avoided had we only listened instead of talked? I'd like to give that paragraph to our congressman and our president and anyone else in Washington that would hear it, but I don't think it would make much difference. But in closing, I I saw that the issue that I had, that my friend had, became a stumbling block. And there may be issues in your life that are stumbling blocks for other people that uh, you have a great testimony, but they see that one thing. Now, that goes back to what what I would saw. I could always find what I thought was a bad person to make myself look good. And there are many people out there who do that. They're just looking for that excuse. They weren't going to be saved. They're just saying that to justify their actions, just like I did when I was growing up. But I I have had other people that what I tried to do was important to them. And it either helped them with their walk or hopefully somewhere down the line, uh, may have got them, brought them, helped them come to the Lord, that I was not a stumbling block to them. So if there are issues that that you may have, uh, help that we don't become a stumbling block to others. Now I hope that uh, people that knowing my weakness don't take offense, don't hold it against me, because I'm still a work in progress. Uh, you would think after... 30, 30 years, uh, I'd be somewhat molded. Uh, I guess I'm still a pot that's half finished. But pray for the, the Lord that you continue to work in me. It's bound prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you can, you can change our hearts and change our attitudes. That if we ask you, that you will... You will assist us. You will help us. You will make us better people, Lord. You will make us examples for other people to see. Help us that in all that we do, Lord, that we honor you and glorify you, Lord. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.